All right. Hello, everybody. I'm KP, and welcome to yet another episode of the Build in Public podcast. And today I am super, super, super thrilled. I got four of our brightest minds in the Building Public Fellowship from BIPF3, third cohort that just wrapped up a couple weeks ago. And I'm super, super excited and stoked to have Sangarsh, Andrew, Suk, and Tal to join us You know, in this episode. This is going to be a fun Building Public Fellowship-themed episode. They're very diverse, different, unique, yet somehow equally awesome people here. So we're going to dive into their stories, why they joined the fellowship, what did they really tangibly get out of it and intangibly too, along with what their, you know, next steps are, you know, in their careers. So with that said, welcome to the show, everybody. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Awesome. So you could all speak at once, or you could maybe based on the question that I'm asking, we could probably do an alphabetical so that everybody gets a chance, right? So Andrew, obviously you'll go first and I think it's going to be Sang second yeah. and Suk and then Tal. By the way, Tal's so dedicated and committed that she's joined us from her car. We love you, Tal. Thank you. That's some commitment. <laughs> All right. So let's do a round of like who you are, like in terms of a brief, brief background, like, you know, founder, coach, whatever your background is. And then what are you currently working on? So we'll start with Andrew. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm currently a no-code coach, also known as the Codeless Coach. I've been building my coaching practice in the past two years. And currently, I'm also uh, building my podcast, The Joy of Building. And also um, experimenting with different ways of create, uh, building in public, but also just exporting my creativity. Andrew is in Brooklyn right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I can't wait for your podcast, The Joy of Building. <laughs> um, I think I'm especially biased because, you know, you brought that to fruition, like sort of went from idea to fruition in the, the podcast fellowship that we ran a couple of weeks ago. So obviously I'm biased there, but it's been such a joy getting to know you, Andrew. Anyone who listens to you obviously feels this, you know. Um, your voice has such a great, you know, depth and um, your energy is special. So as Tal was joking before we went live, I think a lot of us are going to wait for that podcast to put it next to our bed and go to bed on that. <laughs> I don't know if that's a great thing, but um, just kidding. All right. So who's next? Sang? Yeah, that'd be me. Hi, my name is Sang and uh, people know me as 10K Rotator on Twitter. <laughs> so I'm an engineer from Sweden. Uh, well, I'm originally from India, but I've been working in Sweden for the past seven years now. Uh, so for, for during the day, I uh, build uh, uh, materials for a sustainability company called Triflon. And on nights and weekends, I, I'm building this fun project called Fermi.fun. Uh, it's uh, essentially to sort of uh, initialize more Enrico Fermis out there uh, <laughs> to teach guesstimation. That's uh, something that I find fun. And that's what I'm building right now. So I, I love it. And it's right, it's right now, you're accept, it's in waitlist right now, correct? Yeah, right now it's in waitlist, but a select few have the beta access. Yes. He demoed us, uh, for folks who were listening or, or curious, it was, it was amazing. And we're, I mean, a lot of us in the, in the cohort are, can't wait to, for the public launch, you know, so excited. Suk. Yeah. Hey everyone. Uh, my name is Suk. I am the co-founder and CTO of Engine. Uh, basically we help high growth tech startups get more customers with SEO. Uh, I've been a builder for the last seven, eight years, I built like 30 different projects um, that really bought into the build-in public journey um, a few years ago. And so KP's program really helped me sort of develop that part. Um, and I'm also in Canada. So, yeah. That's awesome. We are, our Canadian side of, you know, our fellowship is growing really well. And if, 
Suk just mentioned uh, Engine, which some of you may recognize. Uh, and uh, the name that's familiar is Edgar from Engine too. So Edgar was BIPF one, um, one of the OG Canadian, you know, founders who who believed in the fellowship, and so really grateful that he, you know, recommended the fellowship highly and and. Now you're, you know, you, you were part of the third one too. What I love about you, Suk, and I said this in our sessions too, you're so action-minded that I think within the first two or three sessions, you started applying the thing that I was sharing in the class, which is about, you know, share one tactical tip every day. And it, almost like you took two steps ahead of the rest of the class, I feel. And then it became like you became the case study of how to do it right. And so they, uh, if any of, you, any of you follow Suk, you'll know this, like he does this thing where, you know, SEO tip one or tip nine or tip 24 or whatever. And it's always a punchy, short, actionable, yet valuable tip. I mean, folks who are like super deep in SEO world probably know so many of these, just like with anything else. However, for someone like me, who's not so deep you know, every day is a great reminder. It's kind of like a little tidbit, you know. So thank you for that practice. And, you know, something that I think now a lot of, you know, um, the next cohort fellows that I'm trying to recommend them pick a niche, like SEO, whatever, and then just kind of put out the put out the tips. Um, okay, last but not the least, Tal. Hi, yeah. Um, fun fact, I'm actually about to become Engine's newest customer um, because they actually made SEO not terrifying to me. Um, I actually... And Engine's newest customer, they've actually made SEO not terrifying for me, except um, they don't like that my landing page is in Bubble. Apparently, Bubble doesn't play nice with others, so I'll have to switch to Webloopers. But for you, Suk, I'll do it. Um, but anyway, to my intro, my name is Paul, and I am a longtime tech product manager. Um, but after about 15 years, decided to strike out on my own and build applyall.com, which automates the job search. You basically give me your resume and your money, and you get applied to over 200 relevant jobs at once with the help of some friendly bots and AI. And I am based in Los Angeles, California, currently from the road in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. With the Amish. <laughs> with the Amish. All right. All right. So let's 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 start with the question that I've, I've asked you before you joined the fellowship, but I think it's worth sort of resurfacing again. Um, what were some challenges you had with respect to building in public or building your personal brand online before you joined the fellowship? Let's start with Andrew again. For me, um, it's interesting because um, while well, KP, we I've been you know. Working with you before um, for ODNC used to be that cohort learning where I learned how to kind of build a no code project from take it from zero to one. And and I was I've been following your journey for a long time. So in terms of opting into this build in public ethos, that's something that I've always believed. I knew how important it is to be transparent, to be consistent, to show up daily, to talk about the ins and outs, especially the wins and losses. But for me, the there always seems to be one barrier which was at least for me it was like still like a big fear i understood intellectually what it means to do it but there was always a fear of like well i'm still afraid or like i don't really know how to take that leap and that was the that was i think what was the fear i was able to overcome 
through this through this fellowship. Nice. Yeah, and on the theme or on the topic of challenges, I think we're collecting all the challenges that you all had. Maybe that'll resonate with some of the other listeners who are listening to you. Sangarsh, what, what was your challenge or one or two? Absolutely. Like, like uh, it was actually two things uh, kind of resonate with what Andrew said as well. The first thing was obviously tactical. If you're a solo founder trying to build something, trying to put something out there, everyone says you need to build a product, but then no one really tells you what to do after Everyone talks about execution, but like there's no real like uh, clear picture of what execution looks like. Mm. And a lot of people talk about like, you know, startups being like a media company in itself. You got to market it. So that that's exactly what I was looking for. Like uh, I stumbled across your tweet on, on Twitter and I was like, hey, l- let me just apply and like try to learn the skill from this person who's trying to build in public. So that was the tactical thing. And the second thing, of course, was like, it's scary. <laughs> like you know like put something out there in front of people and like uh, you know like what are people gonna think what are my friends gonna think you know like all those uh, mental hurdles of course and i think the, the the fellowship really helped me like you know it 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 sort of gave me proof of work of how you guys were doing it have been doing it and i was like hey maybe i can just uh, learn from these guys and try to do it you know so that, that those were the two things uh yeah yeah that we're gonna, we're podcast... gonna sort of dedicate a little bit of uh, of time around how you took it to the next level i've been i've said this a couple of times you're so prolific in terms of your output it's like when i see the way you tweet it's very very close to the way i tweet in the sense that you just completely you know um unhinged like in the in the most positive way right it's like completely like i don't want to say like it's like you know crazy but like just completely like fearless you know and a bash it which is my style right if you see the way i tweet i mean there are times when I want to be formal, when I want to like, and I do today's announcement when we made it all formal, thoughtful, but I feel like people over index on trying to be too formal on these platforms and really about what, what majority of the audience are looking for a sense of human connection, you know? So I think you took that advice around, make a tweet like it's an iMessage, you know, message, and you took it to the next level where every tweet <laughs> you put out, it's kind of like you messaging me personally, uh, which I love. Yeah. So Suk, what about you? What were your challenges? Yeah, before um, I started with the program, I was actually, I was tweeting quite a bit and I was bought into the old build in public um, ethos as well. Um, but my challenge was I was really tweeting on a daily basis basically being like, oh, I just got a insight. Let me just type that in um, and just putting that out there. The growing fear in the back of my mind was, what if one day I don't have anything to say, right? And that's happened multiple times. So that always dissuaded me from continuing to tweet because I knew that day was coming one day, like at, at some point in a week or so, that day is coming. And so what happens then? And that dissuaded me from just taking a step today. Um, so that really um, set me back. So when I started um, working with, with with the fellowship, um, I was really able to see how do you build that constant thinking muscle that just never goes out of fashion? But having like a library, just something you can fall back to just in case one day you have a lazy day um, and you don't know what to do. You can just grab, go in there, grab an easy bite and just put it out there. Um, That really makes me feel a lot safer. I know I can put something out. Um, So that was sort of the challenge that I was facing beforehand. Yeah. The content bank, you know, session really helped that one, right? That one. Um, Ever since I did that, Tal has been harassing me to do more content bank sessions. She's like, Kippy, when are we doing the content bank thing? Like, 
because I need to fill up my gas tank kind of thing. So I was like, wow, you know, tell. And your answer is? And the answer is coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> which, by the way, for the, the fourth cohort, I am swapping out a lot of the mastermind sessions, which were a little bit open-ended, like open talk, kind of like this, you know, open-ended discussions into a lot more, you know, content banking and um, just ship it sessions. Maybe we should just give you an honorary title for them, like Tal Sessions or something, you know. But um, yeah, I was thinking about you the other day when I was doing the curriculum. So Tal, what about you? What were your one or two challenges that you had before the program? Oh, gosh, which to pick? Um, I think one of them was that my so much of my sense of identity was centered around this kind of like self-proclaimed, like allergic to social media type. I quit when I was around 25, because I found myself a little too addicted and have pretty much spent the past 10 years kind of avoiding it. And so I think it was for me a challenge, you know, I I knew as a solopreneur that I really needed a sense of community and really needed also the social accountability of having, I think, others by my side. But really to reconcile that with my sense of identity and feel like I wasn't just going to be, you know, yet another contributor to just, you know, information overload on the internet and more, as you call it, KP, soulless drivel and bullshit and buzzwords, right? Because that that's so antithetical to every fiber of my being. And then I think a second one is also just the accountability in general, right? Like my ADHD brain is you know talks you know talks a lot of game but like doesn't isn't great at creating habits or actually do things like tweet daily etc and so i think really having you know i'm the kind of person for whom a structured program creates a level of accountability that i'm never really able to create for myself and i think you know made me really excited about build in public is kind of acting as my i don't know paid grown-up babysitter to some degree to force me to do something that was important to me but that I just never found myself prioritizing yeah I struggle with that too as you know right ADHD sort of thing is so powerful I mean even Satya shout out uh, and a few others um, especially as you get busy and you sort of play the role of a founder which is wearing so many hats the easiest thing to fall off the plate is content or building in public Mm -hmm. or you know and ironically that is the most long long standing valuable thing you could do for your company and the brand so especially okay. and not to mention the perfectionism before build in public that's I another thought every one. tweet had to be a magnum opus i'd spend like three hours rewriting a single sentence and then be like no it's not good enough and i'm i give up and like that was to me i think and, and then you I met many bang and you were like oh this guy thing. no i was saying and then you met sang in the fellowship and you were like oh this guy can tweet something from the toilet just kidding you're like oh i, I think i could be easy on myself i totally do that <laughs> <laughs> haven't we all okay so yeah perfection syndrome is another big one uh mm-hmm. again another struggle that i had to overcome it's got much better now um, I think the ADHD struggle is still there. It's a, it's a, an active demon that I have to tackle week over week or day over day. But I'm sure many of you feel the same way. So the follow-up to that is with this context in mind, which is these challenges that you all had individually, what were some of the goals that you had when you started the fellowship? You know, what did you come uh, to the fellowship with 
you know, in terms of goals slash transformations you were seeking? Well, for me, I think initially I set like a definitely like a numerical outcome that I was going for, which was, I believe the the goal I had was like, let's say three, three, three tweets daily. Um, I think I even said something like a one LinkedIn post one week. I think those were the ones I start with. But what eventually transpired what to me was even bigger than that, which was this, this almost this catch all proficiency of how to do it consistently, but also across just any platform. Um, it wasn't even no longer about like for me, at least the number of tweets or, or do it here versus LinkedIn, or if someone was more interested in, let's say, building audience on Instagram, it was just about the mindset behind that and mm. what that accountability, how those content bank feeds into it, and eventually how those, those automation tools just make it a little bit easier for us on days that we're, you know, we just have a little bit, little willpower. Right. right. Um, and with all that confidence, all that knowledge, that was also a transpired outcomes. Like without the BIPF, I would have never had the seed of thought like, oh, you can do a podcast. That's you can, you can launch it. It's not that uh, hard. And doing the podcast made me realize that like, oh, I love talking. I love asking questions. So there were so many like hard skill set wins that I, I got. The outcomes, like actually doing them on a daily basis. But there's also those uh, soft skills, right? Those that, that confidence, that transformation within me, that experience. I love it. I mean, I think that we could end the podcast right here. That's the biggest. <laughs> that's the biggest uh, you know testimonial for any program. Forget BIPF. No, I think w w when you touched on that, I just want to reflect on one thing. Where when you when we all join a new program, or when we all try to like you know, even it's a fitness program or a, or an education program, we always have this like, oh, let's have these smart goals, S M A R T kind of thing, right? In my life, I realized that those are actually rookie goals. You know, if you want to be an elite pro level, you really what you should be seeking is the complete outside in, inside out mindset shift. Because it's great to do like, I don't know, like lose 20 pounds, you know, in a summer boot camp. But what about the next 80 summers? What about the next 40, mm -hmm. you know, winters, right? So the real inner transformation uh, may not be like tangible, but the thing that really should have almost like sets you up like the whole new level. And uh, one example that I just want, when you said these numbers, you know, is I'm, I can promise, I'm sure I'm speaking on behalf of you, but I noticed that even if you did 17 days in a row of LinkedIn posts a day and check the box there, that is not the same joy that you got from doing four episodes of your podcast, which you never thought you would ever do before the program. Isn't that crazy, right? Like you never Absolutely. thought you would be a podcaster, the identity, and here you yeah. are with the DSLR camera and this great lighting. And now you, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you had like Danny Miranda on your show. How cool is that? Yeah, it's, it's so cool. And, and just to expand from that, which is, you know, we've also talked about, you know, the transformation of, you know, Twitter from x.com and acknowledging maybe sometimes the, the scary uncertainty behind all, all these things, but by not focusing on these numbers and just realizing that like, the confidence, it's like, wow, whatever happens, whether it's podcast, whether it's a new platform in 10 years, like all that is no longer as scary as before because we've become the type of person that can just know, know what it takes and know the mindset to just have fun with it and just to make it serve us and the lives we want to have. When Elon Musk took over Twitter last year and then there was like uh, three or four months of like crazy, you know, dramatic changes that they were making, the whole mm -hmm. team. Um, for a while, I thought that like Twitter would be complete dumpster fire and be, mm. be eliminated completely, like somehow would implode or something. And so many people around my peer group were like worried that all these hundreds of thousands of followers they have, you know, at the time, I think I had 40,000. They're like, what What are you going to do when it goes to zero? What are you going to do? You're like, oh, all this. Frankly, and it sounds so 
bombastic when I say this out loud. I didn't give a shit. I didn't even worry about it for one second. Because to me, it was not, you know, the 40,000.00 decimal, whatever. is For me, it was the skill that I learned, you know, and the contract I had with myself where every day I wake up and want to be a creator, want to create. In a world that's filled with consumers and people who are lurkers and spectators, when you wake up and you create something out there, even if it's one tweet or one post or video, or whatever, you're in the top 1%, you know? And so if you just do it strategically based on your business goals, like Souk, if he does it through SEO, obviously, because it's engine is SEO, it's no wonder, right? Like six months down the line, he'll have great following. But the skill and the, and the discipline and the mindset, I think is valuable. The platform and the nuance is learnable. I'm not saying, we always talk about this, right? We still study the platform, but I don't think Anybody in our fellowship is so worried about the changes that they're making algorithms. I'm like, so be it, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that was, yeah. Sang, what about you? What were some goals you had and any specific outcomes you wanted or did you achieve any, any specific outcomes? So so for me, like, I did not have like a clear, like smart goal, like you guys said. <laughs> uh, I was uh, it's more uh, sort of like uh, open about it. But what I really wanted from this uh, fellowship was to scale as a founder and to scale, like scale for me, for example. So that's what I was looking for. And uh, like uh, building public was was sort of like essentially helping me uh, achieve that thing. Yeah, that's that's very kind. Tell me a little bit about scale that you achieved for Fermi. I feel like you had a couple of great mini launches. It was initially launched on the first day or second day, and then you had the other big launch, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I haven't really, like, launched it yet, but I've been launching every every week almost. Uh, you know, every week. Uh, this the, is the building public way, right? Like, yeah, there's no exactly, one big right? launch. It's all <laughs> the mini launches. Yeah. It, it's been, like, a series of uh, mini launches. And, like, uh, like uh, yeah, there's going to be a big launch, hopefully, <laughs> soon. Uh, but uh, like uh, building public essentially helped me with like structuring uh, how how I'm supposed to scale because uh, like it was re- it gave me like a like really good examples of how to do it and like you know when I joined the fellowship I was actually looking to like you know find a tribe of peers you know who I could sort of like you know look up to and c- uh, kind of co-build. What I'm uh, like, it, it's almost like you're at your computer, like uh, building this thing and like putting it out there and you're kind of like alone. But if you also have other people who are doing something similar like that, that really helps. Yeah. And just talking to them and like sharing experiences, right? So so that's something that I found through uh, the, uh, the fellowship. That's awesome. Um, what about you, Suk? Yeah, for me, um, I came in as a creator, but I wanted to be a top creator. And so KP, I looked at you being like the person that's figured everything out. <laughs> Remember the right. Mount Rushmore conversation we had? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think you, you, you we were chatting and you basically put in my head that you want to be on the Mount Rushmore of whatever niche that you want to be. So I was SEO. So I want to be the Mount on, I want to be on the Mount Rushmore for SEO. And so the way to get there, it just start, right? And so the real mind shift that I had was, understanding like a, that a top creator also has days when they don't get enough likes, right? Top creator also puts out offers, puts out asks and doing all those things isn't something that's like, uh, you know, it's not that if you're a top creator that you've had everything sort of given to you, you have to still ask, you have to still do the legwork. I just did that this morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I think you're doing that for BAPF right now, BAPF 4. So just knowing that and understanding those lessons within six weeks versus six years of learning the same thing, there's just a different transformation. And so that's what I came here to learn. 
how do I become a top creator? Or more importantly, how does a top creator think? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then yeah, so based I on that. that, I ended up um, putting out an offer uh, for being on podcast a few times. And this is the third one I'm doing th in the last two weeks. Nice. Uh, so it worked out really well. That's brilliant. Please invite Suk on your podcast if you guys have um, you know, a podcast and want to chat with the founder. His story is fantastic. And I'll try to link that tweet that you made in, your, uh, in our show notes because you made like a great sort of summary of your bio tweet, which is really brilliant. You know, I want to say one thing about this, which is it's, it's one of those really powerful lessons that you have to only learn one time. You don't need to learn again and again. When I worked really closely, you know, at, on deck at, and even generally like in the last two, three years, I got a chance to sort of see the inner workings of some of these billionaires slash some of these really top, like top 1%, either investors or founders or even Gary Vee, you know. And I, I realized that, oh my God, they're going through the same shit that I'm going through, you know. And it's just, it's really humanizes them, you know, and also makes you kind of disgusted that you didn't take action for 12 years, right? Because I was like, oh my God, like they still have to wake up and put out content. Like Gary Vee still was having eight cameras when I recorded with him. And he was talking to me about how, like, we're going to cut it, cut it from here. We're going to do this. I'm like, oh, my God, that's how I talk to my editor. Exactly how I talk, you know. So after 15 years in the game, he still has to think about what are we putting out next Monday? What are we putting out next Tuesday? Do we have it ready or not? I'm like, oh, so this doesn't go away. So nobody can take away sort of the pain of the work. So it, it is painful if you think of it as pain, but you have to find your own unique torture, right? I think Seinfeld talks about... What is the torture that is acceptable to you? And so for me, that's podcasting. For me, that's running fellowships. And for, for many of you, it's different things. But it, it really humanized. So that's one thing that I learned. And I frankly, I almost thought that I'm never going to do any programs with any, any of these top 1% people after that. Because I was like, I know the lesson. I know the point. Like, I get it now. Let me just go execute for a decade and come back. And like, now let's chill. You know, I frankly think, I mean, it sounds so dumb to say this out loud, but I feel like if you do BIPF, I think that should be your last program, you know, <laughs> unless you start your own fellowship, because there's nothing else that we're all hiding that you don't know of, you know? So I think sorry. it also gives you the bit of like, it, it gives you the comfort that what you're doing is the exact, is, is the right thing. Yeah. It's not that you haven't figured it out. It's just that you keep going on the same path and you will get there. I remember the minute we talked about, you know, putting out your asks, putting out your offers, I ended up putting it out on Twitter, just being like, offer, I'm looking for my 10 first customers for Engine. And I was so surprised that within a week and a half, we were able to sign up 10 paid customers, <laughs> which I would have never been able to do on my own. I would, be, would have been like, there's no way. I think the customers are supposed to find me automatically yeah. if I have like the 40K followers, which is not true. Uh, I think I'm at 2.5K. And it, it was just incredible and just opened up my mind uh, to the lesson. I think, you know, I frankly think the other thing is about we all would really benefit from kind of doing a mini apprenticeship with some of these top people. I really think, you know, that's one thing I wish I did because, you know, again, I couldn't get a chance. Sheer bullcrap that, you know, a lot of these people have to go through just because that's just part of the game and how it's just normal. I think, you know, accepting what we think is outrageous from outside as just normal from the inside is the biggest win i feel because you still have to be shameless you still have to make the ask you still cannot judge yourself too harshly you still cannot you know like there's no magical like even for bipf there's no magical wand i can wave um, or, or or whatever uh, to fill up my pipeline i still have to hustle like the other day on friday i posted a tweet about offering 20 free 30 minute coaching calls for anybody who signed up for for that form 
So that is my way of A, um, customer discovery, right? Because I feel like there are still some parts that I want the program to pivot towards that can solve really well, that solve the problems really well. And part two is that I can warm up these leads and connections so that maybe when they're ready in the future, they may consider the fellowship. Which, by the way, I thought four years ago that if I have the brand, I don't have to do this shit. Right. And let me break it to you. I'm sure you all, you know, we all know this. Like, no, it's still, it's still the same thing. It never goes away. So you may have more leverage. The leverage is, of course, compounding. So I think four years ago, Suk, if I made the same tweet, I would probably got gotten three or four people to apply. I got 45 responses. So compared to 20 that I wished for. So I think the leverage definitely compounds, but like you still have to do the thing, which is to me frustrating, you know, because I'm like, oh my God, at what, is it 100,000? Is it 200,000? At what point will I ever say, ah, thank God, you know, I don't need to wake up today and put myself out there. You know, the answer is I think never, you know? Um, so, okay, so Tal looks like got disconnected. So we'll bring her back, but I have another question for all of you. Uh, prompt. Uh, before you go, KB, I yeah. just wanted to add one thing that I thought of when you we were talking about leverage. Like I read and reread like uh, Almanac of Naval, uh, Ravi Kant. Yeah. And he ke- he kept talking about like uh, two forms of leverage. One is like code and media. Yeah. Uh, and I always wondered what he meant like uh, by media leverage. But like more and more uh, that I've been like looking at your work and what you've been doing with the the, the fellowship. It's pretty much that. It's like double click on on that media leverage. This is how you build mm-hmm. media leverage. So this was like mm-hmm. a great framework for like if you're looking to build like media leverage, which I was, and uh, that's how the program helped me as well. That's awesome. And 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 it's it's a journey too. It's an odyssey, right? It's like uh, I feel like all of you had a chapter one of a three hundred page heavy thick book here that you finished, and. For the rest of our lives, you know, we're we have to kind of travel together. And you know, as you know, like I'm always open to sharing ideas and you know, bring brainstorming or whatever you want. But like, the work never stops and work never ends. Hopefully, that was evident to you that you know the teacher has to practice. I think that's another thing that I didn't know that if I have to be also, I take a lot of pride in that, as you guys know. Like when I tell you, hey, you should shoot your shot, I don't hypothetically tell you something without me following it next week or next day. Mm-hmm. I take a lot of pride in being the, like the analogy I have is like, if I'm a Kung Fu master, I, could, I should kick everyone's ass. Otherwise I can't teach. What's the point, you know? Um, so I try to put myself in positions where I'm like stretching beyond my comfort zone and, you know, trying new things. And, you know, this, this voice in our head that Suk referred to earlier, we all have that. Even I have that, which is, am I going down the right path for the best of my abilities and talents? You know, because the other annoying thing is once you discover that you do have some talent, like you do have some gifts, there's another annoying demon that sits next to you. So Andrew, just a heads up for you. As you discover that you love podcasting and you do have the talent, and I mean, talent doesn't like, you can produce a decent show. And after 77 episodes like me, the part that's annoying is you look at it and it's quality and you're like sitting there thinking, what am I not doing that this is not in front of a million eyeballs? Mm. Am I doing injustice to the work because I'm not turning some other stone or like some, you know, maybe I should be doing something else. So there's this constant voice in the back of my head that tells me, are you sure? Are you on the right path? You know, I sh- mm. I, but nobody can answer that for me, right? Like none of my peers can answer. And if I talk to any of my mentors who are 10 years or 15 years or maybe 40 years ahead of me, all they say is this one freaking line that is so frustrating, which is mm-hmm. just keep going. You're on the right track. Yeah. 
That's what I tell you guys too, which is so frustrating. I know. You're on the right track. Just keep going, right? So what deep down I had to spend some time with me and ask like, what is this sort of voice? What is it really seeking? And I realized that the voice is seeking to shut down uncertainty of the outcome. The voice is seeking the certainty of the outcome. The voice wants a million views so that I can just peacefully go to bed thinking, okay, I did. <laughs> I, have the, I have the world's recognition. The funny thing is when I have the million, I will be comparing myself to the 10 million people, right? So that voice never stops. The voice that wants certainty never goes away. And so when you send out that email so about engine to the, like 100 people, you know, from YC, this batch, for example, there's no guarantee that they'll open. There's no guarantee they'll come on a you know, uh, sales call. There's no guarantee that they'll book and find and pay. So it's like, literally, there's no guarantee. And so that, that I, I think coming to terms with the uncertainty that comes with the territory of being a founder, I feel like is the biggest painful transformation that I'm going through right now is that I hoped by now that I don't have to worry about uncertainty. And I think it's, it's, it's never going to happen. It's great to have that as a reminder. Plus, I think even the journey is awesome. The journey of like getting to the million listens is awesome. Once you get to the million listens, there's nothing else for you to do. You figured it out. Yes. So you can't do anything. Yes. Right. So I, I feel like it's just always awesome to enjoy the journey and just maybe like push the push the journey a little bit further. You know what I mean? Because yes. you can continue to do the things that you love every day. And that's what being a founder really is about is doing the having the freedom of doing whatever you want. Um, yeah, but that's every a great day. reminder. The, the work is the win. I mean, we know all of this, but it's like when you're in the thick of it trying to remind yourself. And that's why we need company. That's why we need camaraderie. That's why we need each other, right? Like I know this in my head, but it only comes out when I'm telling this to Andrew. And when I tell him this, my immediate, my brain says, KP, you should follow this too. Same thing, vice versa. When you, Suk, tell me this, then it becomes imminent that you should follow that too. So we're all like, that's why this, this group of great ambitious founders is so important. You know, I don't care if it's a fellowship or not, or I don't care if it's BIPF or some other new program of it. I think it's very, very important. Like all the mathematicians in the, in the Oppenheimer movie and the, and the physicists, it's important to be bundled together so you create breakthroughs. Because otherwise, like it's very hard because you second guess and you talk yourself out of things. The biggest threat that I have right now, the biggest that Andrew will have in, in two years is at 77 episodes of the podcast, there's nothing that stops me. I have even a podcast sponsor. So even monetary wise, I'm like, good. The only thing that will stop me is if I just throw in the towel mm -hmm. and say, man, it's not working out. I'm not getting the results quick enough. Same thing with Suk. If you have 10 paid customers, literally that thing that stops you from 10 to 150 to 450 is if you just throw in the towel. Because clearly the 10 have paid. So there's value. They're not faking it. So it's such a um, you know, great reminder. Tal, so back to you. Are you back online? I am. So I, I got a question for you. What were some, some of the goals you had and what were some results you saw at the end of the fellowship? Sure, yeah. So I would say a big challenge for me is really figuring out how to solve the blank canvas problem, right? You feel like with all the information out there, everything that could be said has already been said. So what is left for me to say, right? And how do I say it? Where do you even start, right? Yeah. So for me, this was just such a terrifying problem it's really i find it completely paralyzing and i think one particular challenge for me or that you know i would say is related to my goal is that my audience is not on twitter or x you know i'm building something for job seekers which are literally not 
fellow solopreneurs. And so my audience is on LinkedIn, but so is literally everyone I have ever known professionally in my life. So to some degree, it kind of feels like you're, you know, going to school in your underwear, right? Like if you're, everyone you've ever known is going to see you. So I yeah. think one of my goals is really to figure out how do I reconcile that and really find a starting point, right? Like, how do I really gain purchase um, and start dipping my toes in in a way that can allow me to, you know, both be true to myself, but then, you know, but also breaks my paralysis, right? Breaks my paralysis, both psychological, because everyone I know professionally is watching, or at least that, that was my perception, right? And then also my paralysis from a creative standpoint, like where do I even start with this blank canvas? And so I would say professionally, that was my goal going into build in public. And then I would say personally, a lot of my goal was really addressing, I think the sense of isolation I'd been feeling as a solopreneur, especially as one that was not really using social media. Because mm. I knew if anything, you know, putting aside ADHD and procrastination, if anything was going to break me and make me, you know, decide to go and get a job again, it was going to be that isolation. Mm. I'm still, you know, I'm naturally an extrovert and sitting alone mm. all day mm. is, is tough. So I knew that if I couldn't find community and if I couldn't, again, find a way to vocalize what I was doing and who I am and, you know, find ways to build conversation, to have these conversations in a way that felt real to me that I wouldn't survive no matter, no matter how well my product is doing. Otherwise my mental health right. wouldn't make it. Right. So in the fellowship, did you see any results that kind of led you towards, you know, a better outcome or a better place? What, what any, as you, as you look back, what were some outcomes you were proud of results you were proud yeah. of? For sure. Um, and I can share some really tangible ones. You know, KP, you did a session about LinkedIn specifically one day. And, you know, after one of your extremely, you know, really sick slides, KP, your slides are super tangible, extremely, I don't know, they're very actionable. And they're very much like, you know, they're not theoretical and hand wavy. They're like, do this, do this, do this. And after that, you had a session that's like, cool, we're all going to write a LinkedIn post. And here's the format. It's the number one thing X user, you know, X audience, you know, what was it? The number one thing, the number one mistake blank group of people make that prevents them from Y outcome. And he just kind of handed us that template and said, go write a LinkedIn post. And that was so wonderful because you know, I don't want this broad creative canvas. I just kind of want to be told what to do, right? To me, that's not always, but when I'm starting out with something, just being right. given that right. constraint is so, so helpful because it's very easy for me to find something related to what I'm doing that falls into that formula. And in fact, suddenly I found I actually have a lot to say and could write multiple <laughs> posts in this template. And you made us all wow. write it for like 15 minutes. And I kind of had a forcing function. I couldn't procrastinate either. And I had an exact template to follow. So, you know, can't really screw that up. And so I would say that that really helped me kind of break the seal on LinkedIn. 
and in a really, you know, constrained way that frankly didn't require me to like be fully vulnerable with my entire professional network on day one. I just had to tell them all the things they do wrong in their resume, right? That doesn't require putting myself out there too much. And I have a lot to say about that. So I think that really helped me, you know, find a way to dip my toes into LinkedIn and solve my blank canvas problem without having to, you know, like spin, you know, spin in circles for 10 hours trying to think of what to write. And then on the personal front, I think that was really next level for me. Because so much of building in public, it turns out, is actually the replies and the conversations. And I learned that even if I was often still feeling paralyzed about posting, it was really easy for me to respond. And to respond to a small cohort of seven to ten people, all of whom are just like full-time cheerleaders for one another, came really, really easily to me and didn't ask much of me on days that I just couldn't find something to, you know, tweet about on my own. And so, and in doing that, I actually built, I would say like shockingly deep interpersonal relationships with people who I'd known for a sum total of like two weeks by that point. And that's something that I think is really, really unique to build in public because of KP, the people you attract and the kind of, I think, community that you're known for building. And I think people's really self-select into this program based on the kind of the ethos. Yeah. To me is now created what I, you know, would consider five or 10 people that I feel like I could go to anytime if I needed advice or a brainstorming partner, or frankly, even to just talk about any anxiety or depression or other issue I'm feeling. I feel like I could go to anyone in my cohort And they would jump at the opportunity to help. And, you know, that's what I think that's what we lose when we go out on our own. We lose those relationships with coworkers, right? And we go out to lunch with. So I think I've really found that equivalent in the Build in Public fellows. And that probably means more to me than any of the specific lessons um, and other tangible goals that I had going into it. Right. You put it really brilliantly about, you know, having having those people you can count on, you know, and it's, it's not, you know, one, one side of this is obviously needing someone on our side, you know, like a confidant or someone you want to just want to talk to like that other day, you know, Andrew and I had that kind of call where we just like opened up and shared and, you know, saying you and I had that call where I I did a long walk and I was so lit. I was so fired out. I, I don't know why it was you asking me a lot of questions. And even, even though it felt like you were seeking a lot of answers and things like that, just, offering that to you made me feel like I was a, being a good friend. You know, it was not even like a business thing. It was just such a joy that it felt. And so that, that side of it is really brilliant, right? Like the fact that we can sort of build this interpersonal relationships, but also from a tactical point of view, I could not ask for a better, personally, selfishly, I could not ask for a better group of people who are experts at things. Like I pinged Sook Friday night, like 10 p.m. saying, dude, you want to, can I, can I get on a call with you two, two, two o'clock in the morning? Or I mean, two o'clock in the afternoon tomorrow for like some, you know, tactical CMS thing that we're working on for, uh, for, for the blog. How could a founder get help like that? Right. And the vice versa. When you, any, anyone of you, like, you know, Andrew asks me something about Riverside or something about some other broadcasting thing, or whatever, we're all there for each other. And it's this beautiful, positive, some non-competitive spirit 
you know i feel like that's such a wholesome thing i really really wanted to create from day one when we had like one or two fellows and now we're at 45 and i feel like we still maintain that beautiful positive some feeling you know which is my favorite part about the fellowship you know forget about other wins um selfishly it's like i want to build my own sort of you know sort of cult as i always say tell you were you were you going to say something oh no i'm good yeah okay cool so the last question i have for all of you is from your lens from your unique perspective what made bipf unique because i'm really curious because there's so many programs out there and i've taken a few of those and they all have their own strengths and weaknesses and so on but f- from your experience of being in there for 6 weeks as a cohort and now you're you're there as alumni in the fellowship in the in the slack um what do you think makes bipf unique for someone who's listening to this segment i want them to get a small taste of what it feels like to be inside you know if they're not a fellow yet i think the conciseness of it uh, that's what really um got me hooked is you can learn these lessons across multiple youtube videos over a year of doing the work on your own the fact is it's just easier when someone says do this do this do that and you're good and that's all you need to do so you can ignore your inner voice that's telling you maybe there's something else over there and then you can go over there and check it out um once you're given the three steps or four steps to go and and all you have to do is r- rinse and repeat just do it over and over again that's kind of the lesson um the structure, that's really what yeah, yeah exactly. I, we, we all underestimate the power of clear structure right yeah yeah 100% suk and to build on what you said there's no fluff like it really is super concise and it's like hey like you don't need to like you know marinate on this for 10 hours just follow this formula and you won't fail right it doesn't mean you can't deviate from it but you know here's a starting point and for me putting aside that concision and kind of like you know what i call the like just like no bullshit content is also the accountability it's the structure and also the accountability built in those forcing functions to go and put three things in your content bank or post your first linkedin post your first linkedin post that whole like just do it mentality and the forcing functions to all kind of like co-work in tandem and just do it to me is in my opinion a game changer compared to like on deck or other programs i've done that really didn't have that accountability and in my opinion had far too many people in it to ever really enable yeah i the i want to say one thing about uh, the fluff side of it you know the you know the reason why there's no fluff even in the slides or on slack or any in anywhere notion i mean i tr- you know why the secret cuz i hate fluff myself are you kidding me <laughs> i would go to sleep if i have to read through fluff and like so i think a lot of that is really my personality in a way where i'm like i hate like the mba slides that are like 85 slides long and we're sh- everyone's like feeling trying to figure out where where's the point here you know so so much of that is just you know um my one my laziness but also i think personally i feel like busy founders and busy creators you know should should don't need a lot of theory they need like a little aha moment and then rest should be just action right um so that's that andrew what's your take i'm curious what what do you think makes bipf unique and then we can go with sang yeah um i wanted to add on to what what we were also discussing right before this around the aspect of the community well we we all know like cohort learning or these kind of like group learning these modular learning became pretty popular you know around pandemic time you know where community was a very core need 
for everyone in their life, whether they acknowledge it or not. And it was also the same time I, I experienced, you know, joining Ondex ODNC Fellowship. Yeah, they made a strong pitch about what a community-based learning could look like. And so when I joined, it was like a group of like 200 people. And I did get a lot of connections. There was a lot of insights, a lot of you know tips and tricks learned. And there was also a lot of structure. We were, we were also encouraged to kind of build something um, and ship it at the end of a, of a 10 week. So those mechanisms were all, all there, but I just remember feeling very overwhelmed. Even though the people were so nice, the ether was there. It was just, there was something about me that felt like it was too much for me. What I found was very different from this was, well, from the get-go, it was a group of 10, 12 people that even from the kickoff, we can tell that the, the intention was really there. I think everyone was very vulnerable about their journey. And also just really realizing that this, this, this concept of building public, however way you approach it, yes, there's a lot of like very strategies and tactical things you should do. But at the end of the day, there were just so many emotional things that were behind it. We all had a different emotional relationship with sharing or being vulnerable. It was really helpful to have a group of people that understood that and was able to kind of, in a loving way, hold hands and just go through it together. And you can, you can tell not just in the Slack channels, you can tell not only in the Zoom, uh, the Zoom calls and the Zoom chats, but also most importantly on Twitter, right? We were able to just like knowing, especially people who were just starting, the co-star problem was not there because you knew that, you know, you had some of your cohort was there to like it, also to comment on it or to, to make a joke out of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was also just, just the level of support knowing that you're not just talking to an empty room. And finally, we talked about how there's a lot of internal voices. I think, especially entrepreneurs, there's always going to be days where there's like some kind of doubt, there's some kind of no or like maybes, right? And I, my IRL community, there's not a lot, of, I'm not surrounded by a lot of entrepreneurs. So I don't get a lot of like yeses. I don't get a lot of like, whoa, that's, that's dope, right? <laughs> and so it was really helpful to have more people saying like, yes, and, or dream bigger, or you can do this, right? That was, you can just, do this. Um, yeah. that's something that's irreplaceable for me. All of that. Tell, sorry, we lost your voice there. It was oh, glitchy. I, I was just screaming, amen, brother, at Andrew. Amen. <laughs> I was yes. at the end. I thought you should hear me. Well said, yeah, well said. Plus one to that, hundred percent. You know, if, if if you're in the right group, they can really raise the ceiling of your ambition. You know, I think that's something I learned. So it's it's almost imp very important to figure out who the group is, so that you know you know like where you're gonna go. You know, um, as opposed to like trying to focus too much on your skills alone. Um, Sang, what's your take? What makes VIP of unique? You've been actually. In build space too, and a few others too. I'm not, so I mean, I don't. Need, I'm not knocking on any of the others. So you know, I respect the game. You know, um, I feel like every program is hard to run, so everyone's trying their best. But I'm just genuinely curious about sort of your lens on what did BIPF stand out in terms of um, standing out for you? Yeah, uh, I'm gonna expand a little bit on what Andrew said with vulnerability. You know, like, like. It's it's almost like KPR personality kind of reflects in the entire program. When I think of you, I think of two words, authentic and wholesome. Uh, 
and you keep mentioning this as well like uh where, where like you've done a podcast with a lot of people and you you you've uh, you say this that like uh, Gary V and a lot of others they're very authentic Alex Hormozy as well uh like that's the thing like uh, you i almost think you can't sort of like scale without being authentic at 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 you got to be yourself and you know i still remember like these just ship it sessions i remember like i just like wanted to i just said what i wanted to say i didn't care about like you know if someone's going to like it someone's not going to like it i i remember this like one stupid linkedin post that i made uh you know on one of those just ship it sessions and i was like nobody's going to even like read this they're probably going to laugh at it but turns out a lot of people actually enjoyed uh, <laughs> reading this post uh, and i was actually surprised that like what people actually i just tweeted something that i thought and people liked it yeah that was that was like a really weird experience for me so so that's what i that was the biggest thing that i got out of like talking to you uh, and like being part of the fellowship is that i can't be like uh, way more authentic uh, you know and people connect to that people relate to that i can afford to be a lot more uh, vulnerable than than i am right you know than i was before the fellowship i think you know the other thing is uh, when you're authentic somehow i feel like you become your, your content becomes lighter to consume i don't know if you guys feel it and like i can tell if someone's trying to be too dense inside dense and the content feels heavy like a wikipedia article or some kind of a heavy like new yorker article you're like oh my god this is some homework i got to read as opposed to someone who is just kind of like shooting from the hip being casual not not from the writing style i'm just saying like you can just see that they are seeing life from a lighter vein as opposed to like a serious you know oh everything is a tragedy or everything is a big deal like your replies sang and most of your con- tweets li- literally make me smile just for that reason because there's so much lightness in the way because you you were so quirky and you talk about some mathematic mathematicians like i said some physicists and some random things and i'm like this guy he's like living in a whole different planet like you know he doesn't care to go viral doesn't care for follower growth and you know and but they're all still interesting you know yeah andy is the dankest means which and doesn't that's hurt. The memes. That's right. People can tell, I feel like when you're not taking yourself too seriously, you know, and when you're really doing it for the fun of the game, which is, you know, as I I've quoted Steph Curry many times in our fellowship where I feel like compared to so many of the modern players in you know, NBA basketball players, I think Steph exhibits to me the same kind of joy that my two and a half year old son Neil exhibits, you know, in, in the in the in the yard. it's the same childlike joy you know so when you do something with an utmost you know level of awe um and like have very low expectations like you're bound to have a great day you know like the fact that you you made a banger linkedin post and yet you your expectations were so low that you fell in awe of the response like imagine if you just had the ex- expectation of oh, this should definitely go 10 likes or 8 comments right Wow, that that's a huge lesson even for me, you know? That's such a good reminder. Absolutely. And and just to sort of like I, it's one of the things that you you sort of pinged on your Twitter, I think. I'm not sure I might just uh, botch what botch your tweet, but uh, you you said like you measure your life on three things: how much fun you've had, uh how much you've helped others and how many uncomfortable things you've done yes. or something like that. Yeah, and, hard things, yeah. It's the same thing, right? Yeah. That's awesome. Cool. 
Thank you so much, everybody. I think that was the last question I had in mind. I mean, I feel like I could do another hour easily, um, given we have such a you know, diverse and interesting group of people here. I want to say thank you to each of you for taking a bet on the fellowship. You know, massive respect. We're still in the ground floor, as you can, as I always say, like we're still like building the ground floor. Maybe take another five years to get to the first floor. So the fact that you believed in this early enough, especially Andrew and Tal, who were part of On Deck, and then you know they came and joined this. So special kudos and thank you for both of you. Um, and it means a lot to me. You know, I loved the six weeks, and I can't wait for the you know for our future times on on Slack and and the future sessions too. So. Thanks, everybody, and thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Awesome. Sounds good. And it's a wrap.